Today we begin chapter five in Shmuel Bet. And this is the chapter where David begins to actualize his malchut. Here he becomes really King David, not just David. Because finally, he becomes the undisputed and unanimous king of the Jewish people. And not just of one tribe in Hebron anymore, but of all the tribes. And we saw in the previous chapter that he's almost the king by default because Saul is out of the way. Ishboshet is out of the way. Even Avner Bener is out of the way. So let's see how chapter 5 opens. It says like this, And all the tribes of Israel came, El David Hevrona. They came to David at Hevron. And they said, Which literally means, We are your flesh and blood. We're all family here. Gamitmol, Gamshalshom, even in the past, when Saul was the king over us, you were the one who was leading us in battle. That is, you weren't the head of the army, but you were like the number one soldier back then. And besides that, the Lord said to you, the Lord said to you, you shall be the shepherd over my people Israel. And God has told you that you will be ruler over us. And we saw that before, that the word Nagid, instead of using the word Melech all the time to be king over us, we have the word Nagid, which is sometimes translated as a prince or a ruler. And you have the word Otser. And each one of those terms actually expresses a different role that the king has. We talked about that when King Saul was sometimes called an Otser. Sometimes he was called a Nagid. And again, these are different roles the king has. So probably not long after Ishboshed's death, the people come to David here and they accept him as their king. And the commentator, the Radak, writes like this: Israel. All the tribes of Israel came, Afilu Mishevet Benjamin, even from the tribe of Benjamin, because the house of Saul was done. There was no hope there anymore. And on the part of the verse where it says, that we are your flesh and blood, the Radak writes, even though you're from the tribe of Yehuda, we're still close to you. Because after all, we're all Jews, we're all the children of Israel. So what? You belong to the tribe of Yehuda, we belong to the tribe of Issachar. We're all members of the tribe, as they say. We're all brothers. So we see in these verses two reasons why they choose David as their king, other than the fact that there's nobody else, okay? One, he was leading them in their military campaigns. That's what they just said. You're the one who was motziu moivi. You were leading us in the days of Saul. That's the first reason. And that shows, of course, that military prowess is basic if you want to be a king in Israel. The leader of the Jewish people, the king, He's got to be a commander-in-chief too. That's why the Melech HaMashiach, that we're waiting for, he's a warrior. He's going to go fight against Gog and Magog. And that's why Shimon Bar Kochva was a candidate to be the Messiah because he was successfully fighting against the Romans. So the people are saying, we know you're fit to be king because you were unbelievable as a military man. And again, that's very, very important because if you're not good at it, right? If you're not good at war, your kingdom will be conquered and you'll lose your sovereignty. You won't be a kingdom anymore. And so the Jewish kings were fighters. Saul, David, 
And if you look at the kings of Yehuda going right through to Yoshaphat and Asa, Chizkiyahu, if you read about those kings, especially in the book of Chronicles, they went out to war. And that's why, by the way, in the Rambam's halachic work, the Mishnah Torah, the final chapter dealing with the national laws and the laws of the monarch, he calls that chapter Hilchot Melechim Umechamotehem, the laws of kings and their wars. So you see, it goes together. When you're talking about kings, you're talking about wars. War was part of life, and you better be good at it. Now, the second reason that people say they want David is because God chose him. That's what they say. Let's look at the verse. The Lord said that you will be the shepherd over my people. You will lead my people. You're going to be a prince over my people. God himself said that. They probably know that through the prophet Shmuel somewhere. But it's interesting that they first mentioned David's military skills, and then they mention that God chose him. You think the fact that God chose him and Shmuel anointed him, that would be the first reason. Okay, now when you see these verses, you have to sense a little hypocrisy going on. It's like, okay, Am Yisrael is coming to David, all the tribes. Like, where were you up to now? If David is so great, like they're saying, why didn't they accept him earlier? Why did David have to go through hell to get to this point and for the people to finally accept him? Now, it's not like they didn't love David before. We saw the verses that when David was in Saul's army, we had verses like in chapter 18, verse 16, it said, and all of Israel and Judah loved David. Why? Because he went out to war before them. So yeah, they loved him back in the days of Saul. It even said that Saul's servants loved him. He was the cat's meow, it's true. But where were they when David was on the run? And he was king over one tribe in Hebron for seven years. So you have to say that people end up doing, you know, what's good for them. What's in their interest. And it wasn't in their interest to back David when he was a fugitive. It wouldn't do them any good. But now it serves their needs to back David. And so the point is, you know, people can be very fickle. And again, they're highly motivated by self-interest. And another interesting thing is this. They say, you are our flesh and blood, right? Suddenly, no problems with the tribe of Yehuda. Not even Binyamin is concerned now. We're all brothers now. We're all members of the tribes. Sounds nice. But you know, later on, when they want to break away from the Davidic dynasty, you're going to have all kinds of rebellions. You're going to have a split. And what's the battle cry when they split from the Davidic dynasty? They say, We have no portion in David. He's not from our tribe. He's not one of us. That's what they would say. That's the slogan of the rebellion. And then it's every man to his tents. We have no chelik with David. That's what the 10 tribes said when they split away from the Davidic dynasty. But now that everything is you know, peachy keen, you are our flesh and blood. We're all mishpacha. Yeah, we're all mishpacha when we want to be mishpacha. But when it's not to our interest, I guess we're not mishpacha. You're from a different tribe. Ain't no chelik with David. Depends on the mood. And it depends mostly on the interests. Another important term that's used here is the Lord said that David will be a ro'eh to my nation. A ro'eh is a shepherd. So the king is in many ways a ro'eh. He's a shepherd for the flocks. And a shepherd is supposed to be compassionate and caring for his sheep. So they're saying to David, you're a ro'eh ne'eman, you know, be a loyal and faithful shepherd and don't hold grudges against us 
for not backing you all this time. They know there's a little bit of a problem with them. They've been holding back. They've been resisting David's rule. So they're using that term, Ro'eh, a compassionate shepherd who worries about his flocks and doesn't hold any grudges against them or anything else. But the point also that a Jewish king is called a Ro'eh, a shepherd, a shepherd who leads his flock. So it's not like democracy where really at the end of the day, the people determine the leader, right? The leader wants to get votes. So he's going to do what he thinks the people want. But a real leader is one that sets the tone and the people go after him, just like a shepherd leads his sheep. The people go after the leader. And that's what you see, especially in the book of Kings, when you have a bad king, the generation is usually also wicked. And when you have a good king, then that generation is usually you know, pretty okay. Just as an example, you had King Ahaz, one of the kings of Yehuda. He was a wicked king. And scripture says there how the people were sinning and not going in the ways of Hashem. And his son was Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu was a tremendous tzaddik, very righteous. And that generation was very righteous. After Chizkiyahu, Yabanasha, his son was very, very evil. And so was the generation. So yeah, the people go after the leader, not the other way around. Because the leader, he sets the tone. And there's an entire philosophy in the national Zionist camp. It's the philosophy of many Rabbi Cook students, not all of them, Merkaz Arav and Haram Mor. And they have this thing that the nation has to be ready. The Am has to be ready. And so you can't drive out the Arabs. You can't build the temple yet, even though we're Zionists and we want to do all these things. But why can't you do it? Ha'am lo muchan. That's what they like to say. The Am isn't ready. And when I made Aliyah to Israel in 1985, I was learning in Machon Meir, which is the Balchuv Yeshiva that subscribes to this philosophy of Avat Chinam and the Amas to be ready. It's a very Zionist Yeshiva, and it's good for that, that it connects you to the land of Israel in your Torah learning. But when it comes to what you have to do today to you know, bring the redemption, they have this thing where the nation must be ready for it. And when I was learning in Machon Meir, I was new there. And when there were terror attacks and things like that, I was saying, hey, you got to throw out the arrows. It's halacha. And I would point out Jewish law here and there and the Rambam and other places. I didn't know that much at the beginning. But, you know, I knew what Rabbi Kahana taught me, that there's this Jewish law that the Arabs can't be here. And what would they say to me? Yeah, that's true. But ha'am lo muhan. The am's not ready. The nation isn't ready for that yet. And I was learning there pretty steady for over a year. And I was hearing this. And one day I asked Rabbi Kahana, I said, Rabbi Kahana, they say that the Am's not ready. You know, that's why we can't do all these things that you want to do. Throw out the Arabs or establish a country with one Jewish character, an educational system that teaches Judaism, all the things that Rabbi wanted. They said the Am's not ready. So Rabbi Kahana said like this to me, the Am was never ready. When we were freed from Egypt, we were on the 49th level of Tumah when the Exodus happened. We were the lowest of the low. The Am wasn't ready. But yet we had the redemption from Egypt, even though we were on the 40th level of Tumah. And when we received the Torah, we were doing the golden calf sin. So we were never ready. It takes a leader to influence the people, to set the tone. And they go after the leader, just like a shepherd leads his flocks. And I was saying to myself, here's Rabbi Kahana. I was with him in two rallies today, three house parties all over Israel in the marketplace. And he's with the people. He's with the nation. He's with the Am. And those other rabbis are sitting in Kirat Moshe, a neighborhood in Jerusalem, saying the arm's not ready. The people aren't ready yet. But they're not even out there with the people. 
They're like armchair intellectuals talking about the arm, this esoteric concept. Okay, so that's what it means to be a shepherd. You lead. Okay, so in our chapter here, this whole move you know, towards David to make him king takes up a couple of verses that we just read here. The first two verses, first three verses, they're coming towards David to make him the king. But we don't get into any detail who came down to him to pledge their allegiance to him. But the book of Chronicles really gets into it because the book of Chronicles, it concentrates on what? On the Davidic dynasty. That's the focus of the book of Chronicles. So this is a big deal since the Davidic dynasty is officially getting underway now in these verses. So we get a lot more details in the book of Chronicles of what happened. And if you open up the book of Chronicles, Devarim 1, chapter 12 of Chronicles, it says like this. These are the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord said. And now it goes tribe by tribe. Judah came carrying shield and spear. Shimon, warriors ready for battle. 7,100. So we're talking here, elite fighting units are coming down to David in Hebron from the tribe of Levi, another 4,600. And one of them was Sadok, a brave young warrior. So Tzedok, who became the Kohen of Gadol, he's described there as a brave young warrior. Hey, I thought priests don't fight, but they do, you see? Even though there's blood and there's dead people, a priest can't be around dead people and all. No, but in a Melchemet Mitzvah, everybody goes out. And then we have from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul's tribe, 3,000 men who had been loyal to Saul, now they're going over to David. And from Ephraim, we had brave warriors, 20,800 of them. And from half the tribe of Manasseh, they came by to make David the king, another 18,000 from Issachar, from Zvulun, experienced soldiers prepared for battle with every type of weapon, with undivided loyalty, came to David. From Naphtali, a thousand officers, together with 37,000 men carrying shields and spears. From the tribe of Dan, ready for battle, 28,600. From Asher, experienced soldiers prepared for battle, 40,000. And from the East Bank, you have Reuben and Gad and the other half of Manasseh. And they were 120,000 with every kind of weapon you can have. So I'm reading the verses from Devray Yamim here from Chronicles about these fighting men who were coming to David. And it ends like this. And they all came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all of Israel. And it says in the last two verses, and the men spent three days there with David eating and drinking for their families. So they're celebrating this occasion of crowning David with a big feast. And just one more verse, and all their neighbors, as far away as Issachar and Zvulun and Naphtali, that's way up in the north of Israel, they came bringing food on donkeys and camels and mules and oxen. They brought plentiful supplies of flour and fig cakes, raisins and cakes, etc., etc. So everybody is joining in in the party. But notice what's going on here. They're naming the fighting men who came to David, the fighting men, because that's what matters. Chronicles doesn't list the people who came to David with, you know, flowers and cakes and coffee and goodwill. That would have been a nice thing to write about. No, the verse is describing the fighting men who join him. Because I guess that's what matters. They're coming to join David's army to start conquering back the land of Israel from the Philistines and everybody else who's been bothering the Jewish people. So that's why all these verses of those who came to join David were talking about military service that they're going to provide for David. And that's why somebody who really learns Tanakh on the most simplest level realizes 
that fighting, that going to war and fighting and beating the enemy is a basic tenet in the Bible. You got to fight for the land of Israel. You got to fight for your sovereignty. You have to defeat the enemy and sanctify God's name. Today, because of the long exile where we've become you know, severed from these concepts, we associate weapons and fighting with something bad. I'll give an example. If you look at some of the Haggadot of Passover, right? These Haggadot have lots of pictures. And then you have the four sons, the evil son, the good son, the simple son. And when they show a picture of the evil son, they'll often show him with a weapon, you know, like a bow and arrow or a knife. That's what makes him bad. And the wise son, he's got a book. But the fact is, good Jews used to wield weapons. I'll give you an example. When Shimon and Levi went into Shechem after the rape of their sister Dina, Look at the verse closely. It says, and each one took his sword. Now, Shimon and Levi were only 13 years old. They just got their bar mitzvah and they got their own personal sword. So you see what I mean? It used to be that no one had to use weapons. That was part of life. Okay, let's look at the next verse. Verse three. So all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, Hebrona, and King David made a covenant with them in Hebron, before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. Okay, so it says they made a Brit, they made a covenant. Because it's a two-way street. When you see something like that, they made a Brit. It's not one way, it's two way. How is it a two-way street? Well, they accept upon themselves David's rule. And he promises them that he won't hold any grudges against them for opposing him all these years. But you have like a process here. In the first verse, it said, Shiftei Yisrael came to David. Shiftei Yisrael are the tribes of Israel, more like a grassroots contingent came to him. And now in this verse, who came? Ziknei Yisrael, the elders, they came to Hebron. And that could be the heads of the tribes. The Malbim says it's the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin has to give power to the king to rule. So that's the Ziknei Yisrael, the elders who come to him here in verse three. And they arrange, of course, a tekes hamlacha, a ceremony, and afterwards a feast, as we saw in Chronicles. But notice, all this is lifnei Hashem, the verse says. They anoint David before God. So it's not the people that decide without God sanctioning it. It's lifnei Hashem before Hashem. Okay, so let's go to verse four and five. And these are very Important verses, you should know them by heart. Ben Shloshim Shana David Bamako. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign. Arba'im Shana Malach. And he reigned for 40 years. And now we're going to break up those 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judea for seven years. Sheva Shanim Hashim. Seven years and six months. It'll be Yushalayim. And in Jerusalem, Malach, he reigned Shloshim Veshaloshana. 33 years, I'll call Yisrael, Yehuda, over all of Israel and Judah. So that's the breakup, 40 years altogether, 33 over all of Israel. The first seven was just in Hebron over the tribe of Yehuda. And again, that's an important anchor verse. Now, 40 years is like a round figure because you have a, another half a year floating around, but we keep it at 40 because 40, it's what we call a tkufa. You know, it's a concept. It's a generation. So you make an exact cheshbon here. You don't say he ruled for 40 and a half years or he was 33 and a half years in Jerusalem. You say the round figure, 40 years. 
and you always have to pay homage to Jerusalem. So you're not going to say 33 and a half years. You say 33 years, he ruled in Jerusalem, which means he ruled over all the tribes during that time. Okay, that's our summary verse. But what is David going to do as king? What will be his first act as king? What are his priorities? And we'll see that next week in our next year.